of your eye, huddled in the darkest shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. So we are up to episode six of season one and crazy, you know, we only planned on 10. So we're getting we're closer to the end now. So, yep. Um, another buddy flick that's, you know, gee, gosh, Willikers, it's a great movie and everybody should go see it because it's a family friendly thing. It's definitely not that. Okay. I was wrong. I watched the wrong thing. <laughs> that's true. Um, this is uh, La Casa Muda. Uh, and of all of the movies on my list, I believe this is the only one to hail from Uruguay. Wow. Um, I Just not a huge country for cranking out movies, to the best <laughs> of my knowledge. I don't know. Well, maybe now that they have the Canon EOS, more people will do it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's from 2010. Um, it was directed by Gustavio Hernandez. Um, he directed seven other pieces. You would not know any of them. <laughs> I didn't know this one. <laughs> right. Uh, this has been remade into a movie called The Silent House, uh, starring uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Um, I've not seen that. Um, kind of because I would expect to be a little disappointed. Yeah, like our standard, oh, it's an American remake. Probably not as good. Let's watch the original. Yes, it, it stars uh, Florencia Colucci. Uh, she's been in 10 other projects. Again, you wouldn't know any of them because they're all from Uruguay. So and She's pretty young, so who knows? Maybe she'll break out into something bigger. Her performance in this was excellent. So Yeah, I agree. Um, this falls under the category. Uh, it falls under a lot of different categories. This is a micro-budget horror movie. Um, it costs $6,000 to make. Did he go um, ask all his friends, like, what's his name on the battery? They did not uh, mention how he funded it. Um, and I imagine $6,000 probably spends better for you in Uruguay than it would, say, in the United States or Canada. Probably. But, he had less locations to worry about. Yes. This one, however, is one of the success stories because it did uh, $1.15 million at the box office. Wow. That's um, crazy. It was shown at Cannes. It was um, shown at Sundance. So this movie got around. Wow. Um, which is just amazing for, you know, $6,000. And one of the super cool things uh, that he did with this was he shot the movie over four days with a Canon EOS 5D Mark II. Um, that's a still camera. Um, and right around 2010, the fidelity on these cameras was so great that you could take high res video on them, um, and you could make movies out, out of it. There's a, an American made film that's on the short list, maybe for a different season called absentia. The whole thing was shot on an uh, EOS 5d and you can't tell they're just, the quality is that good off of these well, cameras I, I mean the newest iphones they their big marketing thing they were comparing these people doing home movies to big hollywood things and all the benefits of using the newest iphone how sharp it is and great yep. you know we've said it a couple times 
you, you know, with the tools that anybody can get to, you can make a good movie. It really comes down to a good story, good acting. So, yeah. And I, I mean, I actually have personal experience with this. Uh, my last job, um, I didn't Making do a video. Uruguayan movie. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I didn't do video. I did stills. So I like did product shots and, and uh, art direct remote shoots and things like that. But um, the amazing Bob Jones um, was the guy who took care, took care of video and he would set up the very expensive cameras for like the main part, but he would always set up the 5d off to one side just to get B roll to be able to cut in. And again, you couldn't tell the quality going from that to the professional camera that he had on the tripod right next to it. And you know, for young people, college kids, people starting out, you could get two or three of these for the cost of like something bigger, more quote unquote oh, professional yeah. Hollywood. And with all the free tools or low cost tools online, you know, having three of these with angles or even doing like they do, you know, the B uh, group going out, doing some shots over here and stuff, you know, yeah. it, it really changes things for independent filmmakers. It, it did. It really uh, opened up the world of cinema. If, I mean, if, if you were willing to spend three grand on the camera, and you had the time and the talent, you could make a viable Hollywood grade movie. And three grand, I mean, pfft, nothing really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he did something else with this movie um, where he shot it all in one take, is what he said. Supposedly. <laughs> yes. Um, I read an article on uh, the British film industry site, um, and they were calling them Wonners. Um, because he's not the only person to do this. And by that, I mean fake making the movie all in one take. That's right. been done several times. Um, for instance, one of the first most famous ones, Hitchcock. Um, Alfred Hitchcock did a movie called Rope. And the whole movie was shot in such a way to look like it was a single take, but it really wasn't. They were 10 to 15 minute takes. And then he would like have someone pass in front of the lens and use that as a scene to, to splice or edit. Um, more recently, Birdman um, with Michael Keaton yeah. won awards and stuff. It was meant to look like it was shot in one take and it really wasn't. It was shot, you know, in several different that were artfully edited together like Hernandez does with this film where it looks like it's all one take, but if you're paying attention, you can see where, you know, it would be right. very easy to make the edit. Yeah. And I didn't know that he had tried to convince people he did it in one take. And I told you, I was watching it. And when I realized what it was like, I started watching for the edits. I'm like, okay, I know there's got to be an edit here somewhere because two hours to go through. I mean, even plays, you get to go backstage and get a breather and change scenes. Yes. You know? Um, the thing that actually, and I have yet to hear that he will admit that it was not one take, but technologically in 2010, if you were shooting on a Canon EOS 5D Mark II, which he very proudly was, you could only record 15 minutes at a time. Right. That pretty much makes it impossible to make an 88-minute movie. Now, coming from a, a tech geek head, you could probably get in there and rewire to like a portable hard drive that's much bigger so it maybe could but i definitely wouldn't want to play around with that on a three thousand dollar camera <laughs> especially back then because they were very new so you're yeah. not going to find a, an article online telling you how right. to do this <laughs> now you and, might 
Yeah, now you probably could with no problem. And there's a lot of shots where he is just running through the bramble. You would not want wires hanging out of this thing as you're doing that. Right, very true. Um, There have been, at least uh, in my research, two movies that actually were recorded in a single take. Um, uh, One of them I actually saw. It's called Russian Ark. It's from 2002. It is a 90-minute film. Um, It's a collaboration between uh, Russian and German filmmakers. (laughs) They shot it in a Russian palace museum over 33 different rooms. Uh, They basically put the camera on tracks and just like rolled. They had three separate orchestras so that orchestras could be providing live the background music as they were recording the takes. And when they got out of sound reach of the one orchestra, that orchestra would disassemble and then reassemble at the end. They had to film it four times because of mistakes that occurred. Um, but there are actually movies about the making of that movie. I was going to say, there's no way I would do a movie like that without doing a making of, because that would yeah. probably be as interesting. And to, to like film students and stuff. And I think this particular movie, he's gone to a lot of film uh, classes, seminars and people, you know, there are classes on it. We kind of found some of those. Yeah. He's very accessible. That's I mean, cool. as far as a filmmaker. Um, the other one was one that I came across. I've never seen it. It's called um, time code. It's from 2000, and not only did they shoot it in a single continuous take, they shot four films in a single continuous take of the same length and play all four at the same time on the screen. Wow. Which apparently is both fascinating and headache-inducing to try and watch. (laughs) So I've yet to see that film. I I might track it down to watch it. I have no idea what it's about, but um, it sounds like a technical marvel. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, those are wars watching just for that reason. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um the other now um La Casa Muda I enjoy as a movie. I don't like the whole argument over whether or not it was shot in one take or not, because it obviously you know, it wasn't. Um the other thing that drives me nuts about movies is when they say based on a true story because <laughs> yeah. nine times out of 10, they are not actually based on a true story. Now he what, didn't, if I remember right, what it, okay. So it's foreign. So there's the uh, version with the subtitles. Uh, I don't even know if there's a dubbed version, but personally we don't care for those as much if we can avoid it. Right. Um, but I believe it, it said in the subtitles based on real events. Mm-hmm. It was necessarily a true story. So the wording of that, I like how it's a little more ambiguous. That's true. If you dig into it, there is no proof at all that any of this happened. But in the area of Uruguay, fr- where he is from, there is an urban legend about a shack in the woods where two men were found dead, missing their tongues. And that is what he based the film on, apparently, is this kind of urban legend. So. Well, I guess technically the actor's going through the whole thing. Now it is real events. So that's true. <laughs> yes. It was based on real events as they happened. Right. And, and I will say, uh, and this harkens to your background and, you know, you definitely like the art piece type movies, the ones uh, that are enjoyable because of the, the filming or the, the lush shots and things like that. And I'm not disparaging that at all. I think it's great. Uh, it's just, I know you, 
And I noticed that theme also throughout the choices, mostly. Yeah, wait till the end of the season. <laughs> I'll change your mind. <laughs> okay. You, you, you channel a little bit more of me then. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But yeah, and th- this, I enjoyed watching you know the filming of it and then picking up on the story and this time the the duo is a father daughter ah oh when we're talking about friends okay um i put to you that the friends in this movie are the father and his friend nestor okay um and you don't really get that whole story until the credits roll right yeah okay i can see that so yeah i it and you know, really, the father daughter are only together a short bit of time, and that's right. The landlord and the father are only together a couple minutes, but the whole yeah, you're right. They cause the whole story. But again, spoiler alert: you don't yes. know that till the end. Yeah, this is a movie that has a big twist in it. Um, so again, if you want unspoiled, stop now, go watch it, and then come back. It's almost a double twist. It is. Um, there is. One of the new French extremity films that came out in 2002, eight years before this one came out, is called Haute Tension or High Tension. Um, it's not Sounds one of like my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not one of my favorites. Um, it's a home invasion film. Um, and um, the twist at the end of that film is this kind of the same twist that's at the end of this one. So I don't know whether or not it was influential on his choice or, you know, it's not a new thing. Yeah, there's you know? only, what, 34 different stories or whatever. Right, but I was thinking about that as I was, you know, taking my notes down. I'm like, you know, this kind of reminds me of High Tension just a little bit because of the twist at the end. But this is, someone's going to hate me for this, but this is much better done than the French version from eight years prior. So Okay. Um. So the movie uh, begins with a girl walking across a field. She's like crawling underneath fence. And um, it it could be here for all we know, because, you know, it's the same kind of thing that you have out in the country here. They're walking through wayside grass, trees in the distance, fences. She's walking a a reasonable distance uh, behind her father. He is um, he's out of focus. The camera has a very short um, length of focus in this film, it stays focused on her, and he's this kind of blurry image in front of her as she's walking along. And I, I didn't know anything about this movie. Um, I mean, obviously, from the title, there's going to be a house involved. Um, but this very beginning, if I didn't know any, I mean, I didn't know anything about it, but anyone coming into it, I'm like, oh, is this a zombie flick? Because it seems a lot like a post-apocalyptic zombie movie. <laughs> Yeah, walking through a field, um, no vehicle. Yeah. Uh, she has this backpack on. Right. Uh, the the backpack is almost childish looking. You know, it's kind of glittery. It, it looks like the kind of thing that, you know, my nieces would wear on their way to the first day of school kind of deal. Right, right. Uh, it's uh, obviously. Not that you ever had one. No, I don't. <laughs> no, not a glittery one. Okay. I was an East Pack man all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's obviously a remote area. They're walking along and they come upon a house. Um, and it's not like a surprise. We've come upon a house. The, the father who's walking in front, his name's Wilson. 
um, he walks up and he just basically just kind of stops and catches his breath and wipes his brow. The house, uh, from my point of view, is gorgeous. I mean, it is cut stone. Um, not a lot in the way of windows. Uh, but they have benches out front with an arbor built over top of them. It's it's kind of I could see it being a very welcoming place if it was you know, not as run down. It was a little not taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Um. So the dad's hanging out there, um, and he says, and he this gets repeated a couple of times that they had better start in the back, and then work towards the front. Which I think is really interesting because this movie is all about dealing with the past. Right. And it's r- oh. the actions of it in the present. There's our sim- symbolism again. There's our symbolism right there where he's saying, well, we should start in the back with the grass and work our way towards the front. And so here we are in the front in time. And it would have behooved him to look to the past and maybe, you know. I don't know how he could have been prepared for what's about to happen. to And and they never really specify what they are doing there. I took it that they were there to clean it up and because the seller shows up, but they never like came out and said that specifically. Uh, They don't really. Um, What the basic gist of what's happening is there's the seller. His name is Nestor and um, Wilson. The girl's father is Nestor's friend. And Nestor wants to sell the house and it's been empty for a very long time. And so he has hired Wilson to come and clean it and get it ready to be sold. And it's one of many that he owns. Yes. <laughs> Nestor has several houses. Um, the child, the, the home is locked up. Um, it's dark. It's tucked away a lot. Like um, again, looking forward in the film, a lot like, Laura's memories of her past are locked up, dark, tucked away, just like this house is right now. And there's going to be problems once you open it up and get into there. Wow, you're really getting the symbolism out of this. That's yeah. great. Um, while they're there, a car pulls up. Um, and the owner of the house, Nestor, gets out of the house. And he walks over and he's talking to the father. While he's talking to the father... That's happening out of frame to the right side. Uh, the camera is still on Laura, who is standing a distance away, kind of looking at the ground. She's not... Nestor knows Wilson, but apparently he's not the kind of person that she's just going to kind of run up and be thrilled to see. Yeah, throughout this whole opening thing, she doesn't seem happy about the situation at all. She doesn't seem like she wants to be there, Like, but she's not petulant like a little kid. You know, she's just... yeah. She's not pouting. She's very obedient. So to the point that uh, Wilson says, hey, you know, come on up and say hello. So she comes up and she and Nestor did the whole European kiss on the cheek thing. And she has to get something out of his truck. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe the keys. Yeah, Yeah, She's got to get something out of his truck. So she opens the door to his truck, climbs in, and he has a rosary hanging from his rearview mirror. And she stops. And takes a moment to just look at it. It actually, um, I don't know about symbolism wise, but I think the whole reason that Hernandez does that is because later on in the film, that shows up. The rosary shows up. 
And that way you can connect the two. You can be like, oh, that was Nestor's rosary from his tribe. Right. So she t- she pays attention to it. The two guys are wondering where she is. They look over. She seems kind of nervous. She like crawls out of the truck like she wasn't touching anything. And they go into the house. Uh, the house is dark. It's all boarded up. Um, Nestor says, uh, don't go upstairs. There's tile work up there. It's kind of dangerous. And um, I wish I had a nickel for every time she walks past the stairs and stops just to look up the steps. <laughs> yes. Uh, and on top of that, that jumped out at me. It's like, wait a second. If they're here to clean this place, you're telling them to stay out of the upstairs. So that was like red flag indicator. Something is wrong, but it it just seems so weird for him to say that. Yeah. Um, and then when she's looking up the steps all the time, you start to wonder, is she going to brave this? Is yeah. She what to see what up? is up there? And yeah. why is she so nervous about it? Um, Nestor goes to leave and he says, I'll be back later with food and blankets. And Wilson's like, you don't have to do that. But he walks him out. As he's leaving, Laura does what I would typically do. She walks around the house and just looks at everything that's there. She walks around this room looking at just the knickknacks. That's something I do a lot if, you know, no one will ever invite me over. But if you do invite me over, I will go around and I'll look at the little knickknacks that you have on display. I'll look at the books that you have on your bookshelf just you know, out of curiosity. Right. Um, and the stuff that they have in this house, maybe in Uruguay, it's not weird, but to me, it was a little strange. Like there's some kind of ceremonial, like knife and a sheath on display over here. And then a whole collection of animal skulls that are completely cleaned, just laid out. I'm like, that's a weird thing to just have kicking around your house. <laughs> and I will say, uh, getting through the whole movie, then this is probably a movie that's well worth a second watch because you view it completely differently the second time after Absolutely. learning everything. So when you're watching her, particularly the actions she's taking have a whole different meaning after you've seen the rest of the movie. So I, I, I mean, kudos to that. It's definitely thought provoking in that way. Yeah, it is. Uh, when you first watch the movie, you'll this is this is one of the reasons I enjoy this movie so much is when you first watch the movie, it is a home invasion film and you're like, you're just waiting for the next action thing to take place. And then it gets to the end and you're like, what just happened there? But then when you go through and watch it the second time, you pick up on all the little clues that they drop throughout yeah. the entire film. So the, the, the director, he was the writer also. I mean, it's all his yep. movie, right? This yeah, is all him. Definitely. You know, Kudos to him, and I hope he gets something else out, gets some more popular things out. Crazy talented guy, and you know, the only thing I didn't like about it is the whole uh, it was one shot. It wasn't just just say it was filmed to look like it was one yeah, shot. That's it, impressive uh, enough. Everybody's good with that. Yeah. Um, the dad comes back. <laughs> he promptly like sits down in a chair, covers himself up with a blanket, turns on the radio and passes out. Yeah. I wasn't impressed with the dad's acting. You know, he, he was definitely not as good as the girl. Yes. Right. I didn't even look up the actor's name. Yeah. You know, apologies to the actor, but, um, the Laura, on the other hand, walks past the stairs, stops, looks up the stairs, continues into the bathroom and uh, changes out of her shirt. 
Um, and I, I fully get this. She's like hiked forever to get where she's at. Um, so now she's here. She's going to put on something more comfortable. She puts on a white tank top and then she comes back out. Yeah. My, my thought later was, well, after everything that happened, she didn't need to change her shirt. <laughs> but she puts on the white shirt. It becomes important because it shows things way better than that whole blue thing she was wearing. She comes back. Her dad's asleep listening to the radio. She turns her radio off and she grabs a photo album that's just sitting around and sits down in a chair and starts leafing through the photo album. And um, there are two weird things about the photo album. One, there's a lot of pictures missing. And two, the pictures that are in there are um, Polaroids. They're not like, you know, I don't want to say actual photographs, but they're not pictures taken and then sent out to be developed. Right. Yeah. These are, these are instamatic kind of shots. And just having a, a photo album sitting around this abandoned house. I thought that was odd. That's one of the things people usually take. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But being a kid who grew up in front of an abandoned house, I know that like when the people left that house, in this case, my grandparents, they just left stuff in it. Yeah. You know, they bought all new stuff for their new house and just left all the old stuff in it, planning to go back and get it someday. And never did. And it sat there for 30, 40 years, terrifying, terrifying kids for ages. Yeah. For us to go explore and get scared out and then your brother to find. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're about 18 minutes in when there's banging sounds. That and there's only happening. a few jump scares in the movie. And this is the first one. Yes. Uh, there it, And it's not like light banging. It's like banging, banging. Like someone's nailing the door shut. Is the kind good, of banging. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, she gets startled by this, goes over to wake her dad up, and he's like, it's an old house, noises, I'm going back to sleep. And he ignores her. And again, knowing what we know now that we've seen the film, this could be symbolic of the fact that she came to him with problems when she was growing up, and he ignored those. Yeah. But, he ignores it and falls back to sleep. And so she sits down in the chair and she's trying to fall asleep, but she's like got the whole scared mouse look. The eyes are wide and she's like looking around and then she hears noises upstairs. So she wakes him up and he's like, fine, I'll go upstairs to check, you know, kind of annoyed. He gets up, goes to the stairs, goes upstairs. She's down there. And again, this is 18 minutes into the film. This film wastes very little time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's up there and then you can hear him make the sounds of someone being hurt and then like a thump. And now she's really scared um, because uh, it did sound like you would imagine someone sounds like if they've been professionally executed for that matter. It's just, it's like this super quiet assassination kind of thing. It's like, oh, and then a thump. Yeah, it'd work well in a video game. It would, absolutely. (laughs) And I thought that too. This movie felt a lot like a Silent Hill. Yeah, a couple of these movies have. Yeah, there's a little clue here, a little clue there, big twist at the end. Yeah. Um, So she's freaked out. Um, The camera has, at this point, and I found this really interesting because it's a, a good visual tool. The camera had gone over 
to the stairs where the stairs were, but it was still focusing on her in the lit room through a doorway. Yeah. And then, so she's like in this box of light and she's running from place to place, trying to get out through the windows or other doors in that room and finding they're all locked. And I thought it was kind of cool because it looks like she's in a box and she's acting like she's in a box. And also something else I noticed started noticing here is the little amount of talking. So if you don't like reading subtitles, there's not tons in here. There's sections, but there's a lot with just her dealing with what's going on and it's all her emotion without talking. Cause there's nobody else but her. And that what really stuck out to me because it, it did make it creepier. It did help build the tension even more. Uh, I think talking and and I, I think a lot of other movies would have done that had her talking out loud, uh, yeah. saying things, which always comes off as phony and stupid. And they didn't do that. She was just afraid, screaming, maybe crying. There's not yep. a lot of talking. Yep. Um, she beats on the doors a couple times. They're locked. They don't seem to be able to be opened. Possibly so she, nailed shut. I didn't possibly nailed that. shut. That's right. <laughs> Um, she walks over towards the camera, which is towards the stairs and stops and looks up the stairs. And then she sees something on the floor and bends down to pick it up. It's a ring. So she bends down to pick up the ring. And when she does, again, I was talking about that tight, uh, focus. She's in focus. So she bends down, everything behind her is blurry. And you can see that the door opposite is open now. And there's a guy in a t-shirt and a blue shirt standing in the door. She stands up with the ring and turns and the door is closed again. Nice, creepy little thing. I wouldn't call it a jump scare, but it was like this little creepy background thing. And it's, uh, I think this is one of those movies that when I was making notes on it, I was like, if you blink, you're going to miss something in this yeah, movie. Yeah, several of these movies have that. Um, yeah, and this one definitely you can't blink. And if you don't like the subtitles, that's fine because you're not doing tons of it. <laughs> but yeah, keep watching. I don't really know that you need to read what's happening in this movie. No, it's all visceral. <laughs> yeah, the story, even the story itself, plays itself out fine with just you know, just visually watching what yeah. happens. It's done very well. I mean, you pick up on the story through her emotion again. That's why I liked her acting in this. Yeah. Along with the clues and the filming. I mean, he definitely had it planned out good. Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing was very well executed. Um, she goes back to the room and finds that door is unlocked. Which, you know, good. we as the viewers kind of figured since there was just somebody there. Uh, she opens the door and finds her dad's lantern in the hall outside picks it up and turns around and here's like the first jump scare. She turns around and there's her dad standing there. Um, but he like instantly falls on top of her and she like drags him into the lit room. His hands are bound. His face is a bloody mess and his hands are a bloody mess. Um, and at this point in time, she has now gotten his blood on her shirt on the white tank top. So you can see it real well. She starts to look for the keys to the house because they were in his pocket and they're not there. So then she starts checking everywhere under, under cushions. She's running around the room looking for these keys uh, because she's convinced she's locked in the house. She's going through the house uh, 
like through the entire downstairs. She goes to the kitchen at one point in time and uh, jump scare number two, she turns because there's a noise over by the refrigerator and on top of the refrigerator, she like reaches up. Oh, I should point out she grabs a sickle. Yeah. Which was an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I mentioned there's like this ceremonial knife that was sitting, you know, on display in there, but she grabs the sickle, the tool she knows how to use. And also the one that the grim reaper uses. Yes. Yeah. 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 Not, not a giant scythe people don't go thinking it's some four <laughs> foot long thing. It's a single handle thing. Um, so she has that and she's in the kitchen and she like pulls stuff away from the top of the fridge and birds fly out. And again, you know, the symbolism spirit souls leaving blah, blah, blah. But the birds go flying out little jump scare there. Um, she goes back to the main room and her father is now sitting in a chair, but he's still in the same dead condition he was before. So somebody put him in a chair and on his lap, is a stuffed doll of a girl in a sundress. Just a little one. I mean, nothing fancy. But certainly creepy enough if you left a body laying on the floor and you came back and it was sitting in a chair, adding the doll is just like the cherry on top of that cake. Did you ever play that uh, PT demo that they had that was supposed to be? That's where I started thinking this was just like that. Because in that demo, every time you went around the hall and did things, everything changed. And yep. that's, I kept feeling like that. This is like that PT demo that every time she goes into a room, it's different than the last time. Yeah. Um, it, now she starts to get smart and she decides she's going to block the door that his body came through. So she moves this great big cabinet over to block the door. And then um, for probably only the second time in the, in the movie, there's music because she hears music playing from upstairs. Which you asked, you're like, if with some of the music's like, so if it's one take, were they adding this or did it? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, she goes upstairs. Um, she finds the radio and turns it off and she finds this Polaroid camera. And as she's picking up the camera, she like basically takes a selfie with it accidentally. She's like looking at it. She turns it around. It goes off. The flash is crazy bright. The picture falls out. And it's a picture of her and behind her off to one side is this kind of blurry vision of a little girl in a white dress. Yeah. Which, you know, anyone picking up a Polaroid camera that it goes off, you knew exactly that was coming. Yeah. But you mentioned the Polaroid pictures in the album and here's the camera. Yep. Um, she comes across a bunch of paintings um, and the paintings are, are pretty good. There's like four or five of them. Um, however, the painter in, in like a folk art style has left the faces off. They've done everything. I mean, you know, even the glasses that the person's wearing, but no details on the face. Um, and there's one of a guy sitting there. There's one of like a whole group of people. But one of them is of a girl in a white dress sitting in a red overstuffed chair. And um, it made me think being so close to the photograph, this is the girl who's like showing up this ghostly figure who's showing up in all of her, you know, cause this ghost shows up several times. Um, she hears something. And so she crawls through this little hidey hole back into this little corner and turns her lamp off and you hear the door open and you see some shoes come in, some jeans and a knife. 
Um, so there's not only a ghost in a white dress of a little girl running around. There's also a guy with a knife. Yeah. So here's your home invasion thing. It really? Yes. Is. That's exactly what this was. I'm hiding. And yeah. Yep. Um, the figure leaves and she goes out to the room and sees the key to the house lying on the floor. She bends down to pick it up. And this very thick masculine arm reaches down and grabs her by the back of the neck. And she very brilliantly takes that sickle and just whacks around behind her and gets the guy in the leg. Um, he lets go. We never see who it is. Right. Um, he lets go. She runs down the stairs, gets to the door, fumbles with the key in the door, um, gets the door unlocked and goes running outside. Right. And this was interesting because the whole time so far, she's been trying to get away. And I'm thinking, okay, now she's getting away. Uh, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, this part, actually, I chuckled because it so reminded me of Halloween. But <laughs> but I was like, is the movie about over? You know, I, I was confused at this point. But okay, great. She got out. Yeah. She gets out. Um, she runs through the brush and the ba- brambles and she ends up on the road. She stops and looks back and that girl in the white dress is standing in the road and she's not really that much out of focus. I mean, this is like a clear shot of a girl with black hair in a white dress. Um, but then, uh, she turns around and Nestor is returning in his truck. She he almost runs her over. So she climbs in the truck and she's like, ah, oh, we got to get away. We got to get away. And Nestor's like, no, we got to go see what's going on. <laughs> So he drives back to um, the house Which and she's like pleading I, I thought, with him not to go in. Yeah. I thought his reactions was a little, eh, okay, maybe, maybe not. But if I was her, I'd jump out of the damn truck and just chuck it down the road. I wouldn't be going along with this. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was, you go check it out. I'll see you back at base. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so he goes into the house um, and. Every time someone goes into this house, he does this cool thing with the camera where he has the aperture set so that when the door is open, everything in the house is black. You can see nothing. It might as well be a black sheet of curtain hanging down over the door. And the person walks in and just vanishes into that blackness. And it happened at the start of the movie, too, when they first went into the house. I think that's a super cool little subtle effect. And it's Um, all those little things. And we've noticed this with the other movies we've watched, low budget. So they have to do these things to build the tension, but they're done so well. And maybe it's because we're so used to all the special effects in that, that it actually makes it creepier and a much more horrific movie doing some of these, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think like the difference between this and a big budget is like, this is this guy's passion project. All these little details, like these are the things that he would think about while he's falling asleep at night. As opposed to like, you know, an Avengers movie where there's like a whole staff of people just to maintain continuity on the film. And you're like, <laughs> right. oh no, uh, you know, I'm the Coulson guy. His locker would look like this. And, you know, so they have a whole staff to do this. This is just this one guy. And it's just very impressive to me. Um, Nestor comes back out of the house. So he's got way more success than Wilson did. Um, he got out of the house. He comes to uh, Laura and he's like, where's your dad? And she's like, I don't know. And so he has her go in with him. Um, 
and this part reminded me just vaguely of um, the descent. Have you seen the descent? No, but I know it. Okay. You have this uh, group of spelunkers who go into a cave. Horrible things happen. One of them escapes. The descent too starts with her going to the police saying this crazy stuff's happening in the cave. And they're like, you show us. And they take her back and force her back into the cave. That's exactly what this felt like. Like Nestor is like, okay, this was traumatic for you, but let's go. Right. We got to go see what's going on. And like I said, the girl's actions seemed a little odd here the first time through, but if you watch it a second time, her actions take on totally different meanings. Oh, absolutely. Definitely be argued. I mean, it's one of those that we love that you could argue two different viewpoints on some of them. You could, this could all be a psychological play on her, you know, to be in the right place at the right time. So the two of them go inside. Um, They go into the main living room and Nestor's missing. He's not, I mean, Wilson's missing. He's not sitting in the chair anymore. The doll's gone too. So now they're looking for Wilson. They go upstairs. Um, and as they're looking around, Nestor just basically verbally says, I, I don't know. I, he kind of gives up. And while she's standing in this, this, this I thought was another super nice detail. They're standing in this really dust covered room. Everything has just never been touched. And sitting on a bookshelf is a perfectly clean Polaroid camera no dust on that camera and she sees it and she looks at it. And then when she turns around, Nestor's gone. Yeah. Just leaves her. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what happened. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, then she sees the doll that was on her father's lap. And when she sees that the lights all go out and everything's black. Um, another edit, but <laughs> <laughs> We've quit counting by now. Yeah. Um, so she does that whole thing where she grabs the camera and she uses the camera flash to illuminate the room momentarily um, so she can try and navigate her way out. And as a guy who's like worked with camera flashes, I don't get that. Because if I'm in a pitch black room when the flash goes off, I still can't see anything. Yeah. But it's mainly for the audience. It is for the audience. Um, so you see as she's taking these pictures to find her way to the exit, um, one of the shots that happens, uh, there's the girl in the white dress. Um, then another shot that happens, there's a guy with a knife coming at her. And I think you'd have to actually sit there and slow it down and look and compare it. But I think it's her father. Yeah, I wasn't sure who it was or who she thought it was, but but it vaguely looks like him. Uh, then the last shot before she makes it out is a blood spattered on the floor, right? Because I think you even hear like a flesh getting cut. Yes. Um, she gets out of the room and she's not moving like she's been cut. So if anyone's been sliced into, it wasn't her. Um, she finds herself in a room with one of my personal horror terror elements that always freaks me out, an antique baby stroller um, and a baby mobile. And the room is lit and she pulls the blanket back from the stroller and inside is a collection of Polaroid photographs. Yeah. And this, again, this, this scene is definitely a silent Hill feel to it. <laughs> yes. 
because she pulls up the photographs and there are pictures of her and uh, there's a couple with Nestor in them and in the photographs she's pregnant like visibly pregnant that was the first like whoa, whoa wait a second hold on mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to pause what the hell is going on <laughs> right um, as she's looking at them through a doorway behind her a blurry figure moves past um, again you blink you miss it yeah. but it was there for just a half a second um, so she starts moving through the upstairs. She gets to this construction site where they've put drop cloths of clear plastic. And the camera is on the other side of the plastic as she moves through. So she's moving through and you can't really make out any details or definition about her. Just like in your head, after seeing those pictures, you really don't know anything about her. You realize that she's completely undefined, really. As you go along, she had a father. And he had a friend, and the father's dead. We don't know Maybe. anything about this girl. Right. She then finds herself into uh, what I consider the creepiest house, creepiest room in the house. It is a small room, completely bare of anything except a bed. The bed is stripped down to the mattress. Uh, there's black cloth hung on the wall, and Nestor's rosary from his truck is hanging off the side of the bed. Yeah. And I loved this movie. And again, this is probably why we feel it's like a video game because it moves throughout the house and you get new rooms every couple minutes. So it's progressing and that's how the story progresses. So it, it, it's, I mean, really well done in how it's doing that instead of all in one room or she gets all the rooms right at the beginning and keeps going back to them. So it's constantly the next room, the newest room, the newest look and newest clues and, you know, very yeah, build up. The latest map. <laughs> yep. Uh, she save, looks at the rosary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she looks at the rosary and then notices the black cloth on the wall and walks over and pulls it down. And the wall is just, covered with Polaroid pictures. And as she looks at the Polaroid pictures, there are women on the pictures in various states of undress, that bed, and photographs with Nestor in them with these women. And at this point in time, like her facial features change. She, instead of being the scared mouse, she has this kind of hard look on her eye. Like she is now determined to do something. Now we're back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and she's the leather faced guy, leather hooded guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so she leaves the room um, and goes downstairs and Nestor is lying face down on the floor and she checks on him and he's just lying there completely unmoving. And, um, she leaves, and as soon as she leaves, he opens his eyes. So he's consciously playing dead, is what it boils down to. It was done very creepily also. It was yes. very weird. His hands are bound. She tries to take the bindings off his hands. She can't. Um, so when she leaves, the camera pans back. You can see his face. You see his eye open up. And over on this side of the frame, like he's on the left side of the frame, and over on the right side of the frame, there's a knife on the floor that he glances at a couple times. Like he's thinking about maybe going for it, but she comes back in and he closes his eyes again. At this point, she like rolls him over and he has no choice, but to acknowledge 
that she's there. He can't pretend anymore. And he's asking her to help him. And um, then the conversation changes pretty drastically. Yeah. <laughs> um, she starts getting very upset with him. And he actually goes out and says, the whole reason I called your dad was so I could see you again. Um, and she's like telling him to tell her sh- he loves her. Yeah. She's jealous. Yes. It was like, holy shit. What? <laughs> and then to make it even more like psychologically creepy and out of left field. Um, she's like, says something about how he killed their daughter. And he's like, you know, we couldn't have kept her. So this isn't just her completely hallucinating. This was a thing. And then she says, do you see her? She's here now and props him up. And you can see she looks and there's the girl with the black hair and the white dress. She props him up and there's no one there. She then proceeds to kill Nestor. Yeah. So right now, this is another like, hold on, I got to pause this and and assimilate what's going on. Because then you start going, it was everything that happened. Did she do it? But in her crazed mind, she didn't realize it. And, you know, the psychotic break, or is it really something else going on? Is there really ghosts? And and back to what we did with the innocents, maybe the ghosts are controlling her, but she knows you know, some, obviously her and Nestor were doing stuff together. And, you know, so maybe she's just psychotic. I, it was like, hold on. I really got to take a break for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even at this point, there's still all those questions and they don't answer them until the credits start rolling, yeah. which is insane to me. So she, after she has killed Nestor, she turns to leave. And as she turns the camera pans and it looks on the left side of the frame, like there's a tongue lying on the floor. Oh, I didn't see It just goes by really quickly. Now, I might not, I might have ignored that completely if I hadn't been reading that the story this is based on involved two guys found whose tongues had been cut out. Right. Maybe that was just an Easter egg. Maybe. Maybe. Um, So she leaves the house and she just starts walking through and like they do in a lot of these movies, there's like a post tag that shows up That's like the bodies were found. Um, There were some disturbing pictures, but Laura was never found. Right. And she continues to walk. And then the credits start to roll. And as the credits roll, they start to show the pictures of the friends from this issue, from this episode. And the friends are Nestor and Wilson, who apparently would bring young girls back to this place to have their way with them. Um, And so there's lots of pictures of like, Nestor, some girl wearing just a bra, and Wilson, um, pictures of Wilson and some other girl, and Nestor with Laura. Yeah, so then it's like, okay, wait, did her father know about all this? And if so, why would they go back to the house? Did she set all this up for revenge? And it was like, okay, I don't know what's yeah. going on. Because <laughs> typically when you get to the credits, you know, the movie's done, the story's told. And yeah. if there's anything that happens in the credits or after the credits, it's just like a bonus, you know, for you. So but this, so you I mean, had, this was key. Yeah. You had an ending where she gets out, they're dead. She leaves. 
it could have ended right there. And it would have been a lot of, okay, wait, what was going on and all that. Then they do all this with the pictures. It's like, okay, wait, now I have completely different questions. It totally changes your viewpoint of the movie and what you think and everything. And it was, again, hugely masterfully well done. And it was uh, pretty amazing. It's again, this, it's crazy because they did a remake. So this is kind of why I suspect it's not as good, but this is not what Hollywood would have accepted, (laughs) you know? So I haven't seen the Hollywood version, but I have read about it. And I know that there is actually like scripted verbal parts where they explain what happened to like, so like Elizabeth Olsen plays Laura and like, Laura has this ghost that's talking to her and the ghost explains the whole thing, you know, like solves it for you, Ah. you know, partway through the movie at the end of the movie, after the credits are done, there's this scene where she's like cleaning up in this orchard and she like puts her, puts the blade away in her bag and puts the bag on her shoulder and into the orchard comes skipping this little girl with black hair and a white dress. And you're like, Maybe she really existed this whole yeah. time. Uh, and, and again, I already changed my mind and thoughts on the movie twice. Let's just do it a third time. Why yep. not? We'll go for our full trifecta here. She picks up the girl, gives her a big hug, and they start walking. And she's talking to the little girl about going to see grandma. And she's there's a lot talking. more sun at grandma's. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's a couple days walk. And then the camera pans back and she's not holding the girl's hand anymore. She's holding that doll's hand. Yeah. And once again, within like the last five minutes of the movie, they changed your whole perspective on it. Yeah. Crazy. I I mean, again, it's probably not a movie I would have known about. Uh, I may have heard that silent house was a remake of something. Mm -hmm. And if I had watched silent house, I might've been like, eh, I don't need to see that. But, Wow, just so much going on, and it's yeah. it's so well done. This this is a movie that would not have worked well as a book, you know. It, it, no, it's it's totally made for video and film. It, I mean, I don't want to say necessarily that it wouldn't have worked well as a book, but I would be really interested to see how it was done as a book. You know what I mean? If it was effective, because it would be hard to leave it ambiguous and it would be hard to portray some of the ghostly and some of the psychotic things in a book, which which is funny because our next movie had a book and you were like, really? That was a book. And I was like, yeah, crazy. So, and I can see the next film being a book that makes all kinds of sense, especially since the book is Swedish, the film Swedish. Um, and again, it has an American remake. We'll be watching, um, let the right one in next time. Yeah. Uh, but overall, yeah. Um, classifying silent, uh, La Casa Muda is really a, a difficult thing to do. It, it was a micro budget film. We can definitely micro budget horror film. We can definitely yeah. put it in that category. At least it was kind of a home invasion. Uh, it was kind of a psychotic breakdown. It was kind of a ghost story all at once. Yeah. I, and there's a guy who did a bunch of films from Italy back in the seventies named Gaio. And uh, he has this very specific style that became the name of these movies, Gaio movies. 
Um, and this is definitely not one of those. But what he would do frequently, you'll, you'll see in a Gaio movie very frequently, is that the architecture itself becomes a character of the show. And in this movie, the house, I mean, literally from room to room was basically just, I don't even want to say it was a character. It was multiple characters. Like each different spot of the house was telling its own story. Yeah. It's just still, so even with what, pick any of those three endings, it, it, you could have a totally different thought on the movie. And what was the final verdict? What, you know, who knows? Uh, honestly, yeah. I could probably sit here and argue with myself psychotically that it's this. <laughs> and then five minutes later, I'd look like um, Gollum arguing. No, it was psychotic. No, but it looked like paranormal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just a really well done film. Um, a really nice little hidden gem out there. If you can find a copy of it. Yeah, it is difficult. Yeah. So anyone going to Uruguay, if they're selling them in the stores. That Pick would one be up. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, for I sure. Know, I don't know if in the pandemic world, how many people are going to Uruguay from Northeast Ohio, but. Yeah, well, you never know. Um, it, the movie uh, was really well done. And I, I like to contrast it with the battery because they were both made for the same amount of money. Right. Um, and I think the battery and has a much more American feel to it. You know what I very mean? Much, very much. I mean, it yeah. was really straightforward. The story was just out there. Um, and I can't say anything culturally about Uruguayan film. Cause this is the only one I've ever seen, you know? And, and, and if other than being in a foreign language and with subtitles, I, I would never guessed, uh, it was from another country. It very well could have been. I mean, just because the whole one shot thing and the thing there, there wasn't cause like you've mentioned France and a lot of times, you know, you'll see a movie from Britain. It's like, Oh, this feels like other British movies. This feels like other French movies that I've seen. Uh, you know, J- Japanese movies always have a certain feel. Yep, to absolutely. Them. But this, I, I wouldn't have identified it from any particular country. It, no. Yeah, they they were speaking Spanish. That was about all the more cuz like I said, the whole scene of them walking across that field, that could have been my backyard. <laughs> I, yeah, I've you walked know? through your field when it looked like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean it, it's to it an did abandoned not look, house. Oh my god, we could have made this movie. <laughs> that's right. If only we'd had a Canon EOS 5D. <sighs> yeah, too bad. Wouldn't have looked as the same, you know, the little camera off the Commodore, so. <laughs> <laughs> giant pile of pixels yeah how many five and a quarters would that take for the whole movie <laughs> you have to like split it up and then recompile it back together no it was all done in one shot <laughs> on a commodore we had a really long extension cord yep yep lugging yeah. it around so all right so there's uh la casa muda another good flick to go see again like most of these not necessarily for everybody not every horror movie aficionado's jam but if you are looking for something different, if you're tired of the the Hollywood ones, the ones that this, you know, everything's a slasher flick at Halloween and, you know, you want something different. This is, you know, this will blow you away. It kind of makes lots of other movies seem lesser. Someday just, 
you know, when we're feeling bad about ourselves, we should get uh, the American remakes for all these movies and sit down and force ourselves <laughs> to watch them. a whole season of just the bad American remakes of yes. better movies yes. we've seen. <laughs> Here's Martyrs done really poorly. Oh, that could get painful. <laughs> okay, um, no, that's a bad idea. We're not going to do that. Yeah, I see enough bad movies. So There you go. <laughs> all right, so next time. Let the right one in. And Let the right I don't one in. know how to pronounce it in Swedish. Me either. Um, so, but uh, another good movie coming up. Yep. And I, I, I was joking with you. So it's like we get all your favorite vampire movies in season one. There's three of them or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 30 Days of Night. And after that, I mean, I did watch um, Blood Red Sky. Mm-hmm. And that one wasn't bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it felt like a lot of Netflix movies. It felt like a TNT made for TV movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. A little too long, but other than that. I, yeah. I thought so too. Yeah. All right, man. Cool. Next time. Next. The creature slips from perception. Pay attention. Will rise again.